Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. The writers of the New Testament clearly believed that the Old Testament, or Tanakh, speaks of a coming Messiah who would save Israel from her enemies. Not only that, they taught that Jesus is that Messiah. He rescues those who believe in him from sin, and when he returns, he will fulfill everything that scripture says about the Messiah. In this season of Our Hope podcast, we will look at different passages of the Old Testament and chat with our guests about what these writings tell us about the Messiah. To open this new season, we will explain what Messianic prophecy is and explore two specific prophecies about Yeshua's role as Israel's deliverer and king. Our guest today is Dr. Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. I now introduce the host of our Hope podcast, Abe Vazquez. Welcome back to season seven of Our Hope. I am so excited to finally be back. We had a bit of an extended uh, break thanks to a wonderful conference we recently held yes. called 9-11 and the New Middle East. Where can people rewatch that, Nicole? 911theconference.com. Great. I kind of threw that one at you. <laughs> 911theconference.com. You can rewatch this wonderful conference. We had Anne Graham Lotz. We had Joe Rosenberg. Uh, we had just such wonderful guests, pastors who served during 9 11. Mm. And I know we're probably a little far away from it, but it, I really believe the messages that were spoken uh, remain relevant and are pretty timeless. But today, we, uh, we're, we're finally back. And for the first time, we have our guest in the studio with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch, it's such a pleasure to interview you, not over Zoom. It's always a pleasure not to be surrounded by a little box over my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, you know, Mitch, you've been on this podcast many times before. Um, I'm just wondering if you could tell everyone how long you've been leading Chosen People Ministries. Longer than the podcast. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I began in May of 1997. Wow. Wow. And so it's coming on 25 years. And it's been one of the best experiences of my life, uh, living for the Lord and in service among my Jewish people. It's been 
tremendous time and I think I'll keep going for a while. After yeah. 25 years, I would imagine this COVID season is probably the most challenging you faced as a leader. It's been very challenging. I mean, we, we went through 9-11, we went through Sandy, mm. we went through rescu rescuing Russian Jewish people jumping out of their windows mm. into the Atlantic Ocean that was down the block from their house yeah. when it should have been a quarter mile away yeah. mm. and, uh, and figuring out how to do outreach at that time. So there's been a lot of challenges mm -hmm. and uh, COVID is certainly uh, way up there. But the yeah. one thing I've learned from the other challenges is that we need to trust in the Lord, be patient, yeah. and he works these things out. And that's what I'm doing, and that's where we're going. So it's it's good. And, and what Bible verse or passage has God been using to help you in this current season? <laughs> it's my lifelong verse, no matter what. Uh, it's good for every season, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, knowing that the work that we do is never in vain mm -hmm. in the Lord. So be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work for him is never in vain. It, it It's never in vain, Abe and Nicole. You just keep swimming through it, yeah. and um, he clears the path and makes your life fruitful because the word of God never comes back void. And this podcast is all about pressing on and putting out the word of God. So we know yeah. that this is going to be fruitful. Amen. 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 All right, so let's jump into the topic, um, Messianic prophecy. So I have a question for you. Sure. It should be pretty easy. When is Jesus returning? Date and time. Okay. <laughs> uh, now, you promise not to stone me if I'm wrong? <laughs> so, okay, so my view on scripture is that it could be any moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. That's great. <laughs> oh That's <gosh>. great. <laughs> Do you know why, though, he doesn't tell us? Ah, see, nobody asked that question. You're right. Why? <laughs> the reason why is because the Lord knows us so well that some of us would even try and cram holiness <laughs> before the final exam. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so he doesn't want us to know. He keeps us guessing yeah. so that we stay on the straight and narrow for our whole lives. Yeah. Amen. That's my opinion. Yeah. Hmm. So again... The topic of this season, this entire season, is Messianic prophecy. Mitch, could you help us understand what Messiah means? Sure. Messiah, which is sometimes translated uh, Christ, of course, in the New Testament, uh, they're really both the same terms. Messiah is from the Hebrew Moshiach. Messiah is a transliteration, not a translation. You understand the difference, everybody? Yeah. Yes. And then Christos is the Greek and Christ is the transliteration. So rather than translate these terms, uh, the Bible translators, rightfully so, simply uh, transliterate them. And so you're speaking Hebrew every time you say Messiah. We just think it's an English word, you know? And so the Messiah, uh, the Hebrew word Moshiach means anointed. Mm -hmm. And there were three anointed offices in Israel. And by anointed, it meant that literally oil was poured over their heads mm. as a symbol of God's power and blessing. And so there's the prophet who was anointed, there's the priest who was anointed, then there was the king who was anointed. Right. And so in our understanding, uh, the Messiah is the one who puts together all three offices. He's God's prophet, he's God's priest, and he's God's king. And certainly... Jesus fits all of those categories. He speaks for God. 
He died for our sins. He not only was the priest, he was the sacrifice, and he's our coming king. And I think that's the one we're going to be looking at a little more carefully today. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And Mitch, having being on this side of the resurrection and the ascension and knowing everything that the New Testament says, why is it important that we still discuss messianic prophecies from the Hebrew scriptures? Well, first of all, everything in the Bible is important. And so, and it's not static. It's dynamic because it's the Word of God. Mm. And so there's lessons and blessing to be had in just understanding prophecy that was fulfilled. But secondly, it's also evidentiary. And so if you want to demonstrate to someone, particularly a Jewish person, who uh, may understand the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and is looking for the Messiah, how would they ever know that the Messiah came once and is coming again if you can't demonstrate that the prophecies that uh, that were quoted in the New Testament as fulfillments were accurate representations of what was in the Old Testament. Mm. And so it's, it's a great way to demonstrate to your Jewish friends, or if you're Jewish and you're listening, if you look at Messianic prophecy, prophecies of the Messiah, you'll see that there are two kinds. One, there are prophecies of his first coming, and yeah. then there are prophecies of his second coming. Right. And both are, are true. It's just that the second coming ones have not been fulfilled yet. And probably, just as you said, Nicole, we're looking, we're not looking on the other side of the second coming. So we're, we may not be as accurate about fulfilled prophecy mm -hmm. as we are about prophecies of his first coming. That's right. And speaking of first coming versus second coming prophecies, one of the prophecies that we're going to discuss today is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. And in these verses, God promises David, Israel's great king, that one of his descendants will sit on the throne forever. The core of the promise is found in verses 12 through 16. Mitch, can you walk us through this incredible covenantal promise of God to David? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, this is a very, very important prophecy and promise because it's also a covenant. Now, oftentimes, the promises in the Hebrew Scriptures are covenants. Mm. Uh, in, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, there's a great uh, promise to Abram that he'll become a great nation, he'll have a land, that he will have a, his people, his descendants will have a relationship with God, and that he will be a blessing to the world. Now, all of that is a promise. Uh, it's a prophecy. But it's also a covenant mm. because God says, I'm going to make this happen. And he has made it happen. Hence the Jewish people, the land of Israel, and so on. Now, this is both a, a pro prophecy, a promise, and a, and a covenant. Mm. It's an agreement. It's an agreement. And so uh, Nathan, who's the one that God chose to deliver this message to uh, David, says, when your days are complete, you lie down with your fathers. That's in verse 12, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. Mm. I will raise up your descendants or descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. So clearly a son of David uh, will be the future king of Israel. Now, uh, this is sort of a, a new take on the kings of Israel because the Jewish people demanded a king. God allowed them to have Saul, but didn't really want them to have a king. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, Israel failed at, at following a king, and the king failed at leading his people. And so this is a new start. And for whatever reason, I'm sure it's based in grace because he's a gracious God, yeah. sometimes the Lord gives us what we want. 
And so he is now giving the Jewish people a king, only he's going to do it his way now. Yeah. And so he selected David out of this uh, group of, of children and, uh, and chose David to be uh, the promised king. And now he's talking to David, who's already the king, and he's saying, you know, this thing's going to continue. So I'm creating what we call a dynasty. We're creating a, dis a dynasty. So I will establish his kingdom. Now, David had a lot of sons, so we're not exactly, this verse doesn't tell us which son it's going to be. Right. That's now, right. we know it was Solomon, but it doesn't say so at this point. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. Look at that relationship between father and son. And in fact, this is the way God treated David. He treated David as a son, sometimes an erring son, mm. and he exercised grace and forgiveness with David that few of us would... Uh, we don't want to tempt God to treat us in the same way by doing what David did. Oh, yeah. Right. And so uh, it's better to be obedient. And so, but he treated David like a son. And look at what he says. He shall build a house for my name, okay, a Davidic dynasty, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's so critical. Now, notice in this covenant, he doesn't say that these things need to happen in order for my dynasty to be a forever dynasty. God simply says it's going to be a forever dynasty. In the Mosaic Covenant, he says, if you do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, then I will do this. Blessing and judgment. In the Abrahamic Covenant, it's more of a grace covenant. God says, I will fulfill these promises. In the Davidic Covenant, he's saying the same thing. So the Davidic Covenant technically is an unconditional covenant. It's without conditions. The Abrahamic covenant is unconditional, without conditions, or the conditions are based upon God's power to perform those conditions. Mosaic covenant, well, that's a kind of a different story. Mosaic covenant is a conditional covenant, conditional on Israel's obedience. This one, I mean, God already knew too much about David to base anything on his ultimate obedience. <laughs> so this, this is God's promise, and God will make sure it happens. So I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I'll correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. So in other words, he already knows that he's picking human kings and Solomon's going to have far too many wives to be able to not get in trouble. Okay? But look at the unconditional, everlasting nature, nature of this covenant. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him. So in other words... He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't earn it. He deserves to actually to lose it. Mm -hmm. yeah. But he's not going to because of my loving kindness, my loving kindness. And that's an interesting word, friends. The Hebrew word chesed, mm -hmm. loving kindness, is a covenantal word. And it is an expression of God's commitment and love. It goes far beyond a feeling uh, far beyond a kind gesture on God's part. It actually speaks of an eternal, everlasting connection between God and those he chooses to love. He cho chose to love Israel, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 14. Mm -hmm. I've not chosen you because you were the, the largest, but the fewest in number. Uh, in other words, you didn't deserve to be chosen. And so God's love, chesed, is always based in God's choice. So what can we do to sort of undeserve God's love? Well, the answer to that is nothing, yeah. Yeah. nothing. 
because we didn't deserve it in the first place. Right. Mm. So my loving kindness, my chesed shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul because it was a different arrangement. No, no it was not as a covenant whom I removed from before you. Your house, now that's the Hebrew word by it. And some people say, well, that refers to the temple. Probably not. Sometimes, very actually, very often, even in Jewish literature, the Hebrew word bayit uh, is sort of a, a metonymy. It's one word to represent uh, an, a, 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 another concept. Yeah. So bayit usually was interchangeable with temple. Uh, but he's referring actually in this instance to the Davidic dynasty. Mm. So your house, your dynasty, and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Why? Because this promise is based upon God's grace, God's mercy, God's chesed, and he will see to it that the throne of David will be in Davidic hands forever. Mm. Now, there's a great passage of scripture. This is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And it just fits so perfectly in this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Everybody know this Christmas mm -hmm. passage, right? Yeah. And the government will rest on his shoulders, mm -hmm. okay? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Peleoetz, Mighty God, El Gibor, uh, which means Mighty Eternal Warrior. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's God is a warrior. So God is a counselor, God is a warrior. Eternal Father, Aviad, Father of Eternity, so that speaks of his eternality. Sarshalom, Prince of Peace, that speaks of his function as a ruler. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Now listen to this. And on the throne of David, Davidic covenant, Isaiah followed uh, David by hundreds of years and knew the covenant. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and how long? forevermore. Mm. So whoever takes the throne of David gets the job forever. And there's only one person who actually fits the bill of these names. Yeah. Right. And also rules Israel into forever. And that's Yeshua. So you can see how the ultimate son of David not only fulfills the Davidic covenant, but actually fulfills this prophetic passage in the book of Isaiah. So Mitch, you were talking about how Yeshua will rule forever. And we know from verse 16 in this prophecy from 2 Samuel chapter 7, that it seems to be cast as eternal, this covenant. How does this impact the future of the Jewish people, the Messiah and the descendants of King David? Yeah, that's really a good question. Um, I think it's a very, very important point. Um, when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees and established a nation, he gave no time parameters for how long that nation would last. And so we have to understand that God's relationship with the Jewish people was founded on the covenant with Abraham. Uh, some teeth was put to it for moral behavior and in, in the Mosaic covenant. But the structure of the eternal kingship um, of the nation, who would, who would rule it forever? Mm. Well, 
<laughs> it's really funny. Uh, remember why the Jewish people got into trouble with Saul? Yes. Because God wanted to be the king. Mm. See, that was the problem. So you've got to tie together the eternality of the people, the e eternality of the ruler, and the incarnation. Mm. You see, yeah. it's because God became flesh that he could be the ruler of the Jewish people forever because the scripture has been very clear that God wants to rule his people. And so Jesus is the eternal divine ruler of the Jewish people based upon the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. And uh, we won't get into the new covenant. That might be another podcast. But but, uh, but I hope that answers your question. And so yeah. Yeah. God's hand is upon the Jewish people and nobody can take his hand off the Jewish people. Amen. And and speaking of the Jewish people, how do they view this promise and creation of a covenant that we've been talking about? Well, let me tell you a funny story. Okay. So, uh, friends, you've got to come to, to Israel with Chosen People Ministries. No, yeah. Nobody will give you a tour of Israel. When, when we can get in, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know might, might be the late spring or summer, might be the fall, but I, th I think it's coming. Israel's beginning to open a little bit now, the crack, crack in the door. In the old city of Jerusalem, there is one. There are two really uh, strange museums to visit. Mm. One is the Temple Mount Museum, mm. and that's where a group of Hasidic ultra-Orthodox Jews, mostly from Brooklyn, are <laughs> developing the vestments of the priest, uh, the uh, items that would go into the altar, the... Um, the brazen altar, they're, they're putting together the, the instruments that were uh, played in the temple. Wow. So they're, they're putting together everything that's needed so that when the temple is rebuilt, they can fill it with, with the furniture. I mean, how could you have an unfurnished house for God, right? Yeah. And so they, that's what their plan is. It, it's a very odd experience uh, to be there. As much as I do believe a literal temple will be rebuilt, it's still pretty odd to see a bunch of Orthodox Jews from Brooklyn making the furniture. Okay? <laughs> but there's one that's even stranger, and that's the King David Museum. Mm. There is literally a King David Museum in Israel. Um, I, I, I promise you, I think that these guys are all Gentiles they, they, who don't know anything about uh, Judaism, and they wear these long prophetic robes, and mm. they all have long beards, and they're just so strange. And, but it's interesting. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. and what they have around the wall, up on top of the wall, is they have all of David's descendants up until this very, very day. Oh wow! Oh wow! And you know, and you and you can follow it along and see if you know the guy at the end of it, which I did <laughs> not. Okay, but it wasn't Rabbi Schneerson of the Lubavitch Hasidim, and it wasn't any rabbi that I know. But uh, there is uh, this deep rooted belief that the Messiah will be a son of David. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I told you was a weird expression of it, but it's, it demonstrates the, um, the Jewish attitude towards the son of David prophecies in the Old Testament. Without a doubt, the Jewish people understand 2 Samuel 7, and the corollary passage, by the way, is in 1 Chronicles 19. Mm -hmm. Jewish people know that the Messiah will be, number one, the son of Abraham, yeah. Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. And number two, son of David. So, you know, 
when you're presenting messianic prophecy to a Jewish person, you can start off with a lot of agreement. We both think he'll be Jewish. We all think he'll be from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. And we all believe that he will be a descendant, direct descendant of King David. Mitch, uh, Psalm 89, who wrote this psalm? And do you think that's significant? Well, in, in the Psalms, you have what's known as a superscription. That's what they call it. And the superscription oftentimes tells us two things. One, who wrote it? Mm. And number two, what kind of psalm it is. Mm -hmm. So the maskil of Ethan the Ezrahite. So a maskil is a teaching psalm. Mm -hmm. mm. And Ethan or Eitan, uh, the Ezrahite, is not a well-known person in Scripture. I mean, there are some passages uh, in there, uh, in the Bible, about him. And uh, so we know a little bit about him, but mm -hmm. we don't know a lot about him. But it, it's not unusual because actually Psalm 88 um, was written by uh, yeah, Mahalat Leniot Himan, not Herman, the Ezraite. Mm. So there seemed to be uh, uh, people of that group. Now, Psalm 87 was written by the sons of Korah. Mm. Mm. Now, we know a lot more about the sons of Korah. So it is possible that these guys are somewhat linked to the sons of Korah. We don't know for sure. The sons of Korah led the Levitical band oh. at the temple. <laughs> and actually, there is some evidence that Korah was a drummer. Mm. And so it is possible that these guys, because it's listed in Psalm 88, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the choir director, according to, eventually, uh, Heman the Ezraite in, in Psalm 88. And again, Maskil is not just a song, it's a, it is a uh, teaching song, so to speak. Right. Well, Eitan seems to be in that same group. So not all the Psalms, obviously, were written by King David. Guess who wrote Psalm 90? Moses. Oh, wow. So Moses, and we have good reason and good tradition to understand that Moses wrote Psalm 90. So though we don't know a lot about our friend Eitan, what mm. we can presume probably is, you know, he was, he was part of the boys in the band. <laughs> you know, and maybe he was a songwriter, maybe he was a singer. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of these folks, now leave Moses out for a moment, but all of these folks were part of the worship team. Mm -hmm. So if you are part of a worship team, in some ways you can be a psalmist too. So and <laughs> <laughs> so that that's about as much as we know. Right. So uh, these guys were songwriters and and they led worship. So th this this person, Eitan, that's significant because the context of this psalm was written, like as you said, as a teaching psalm. Yes. So that then means that it's not necessarily just metaphorical. Oh, it's not metaphorical at all. <laughs> actually, yeah. actually, Psalm 89 is the poetic expression of 2 Samuel 7. Mm. So they're in the... I don't think they're in the temple yet. I think they're in... Later on, this would have been sung in the temple, mm -hmm. yes. but but they're in the tabernacle, okay, uh, during the days of David, because David didn't see the, David wrote all his psalms before the temple was built, right, and so they're in the tabernacle, and without a doubt, 
Uh, they all knew of the Second Samuel. They all knew of the covenant. Mm. David knew of the covenant. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was the heartbeat of the covenant. <laughs> and yeah. so this is a beautiful, uh, could have been very melodic uh, expression. Mm -hmm. It's a teaching psalm of the Davidic covenant. So part of what's happening here is that the Levitical priests, who were the ones to carry the message of the Torah, of the five books of Moses, and teach it to the Jewish people. Most people don't understand that, but the Levites had a teaching ministry, not mm -hmm. just a sacrificial and a, and a mediatorship or worship ministry. Mm -hmm. And so they were teaching through these Psalms. So David uh, was not the right author of these Psalms, but I'm sure David was the inspiration for these Psalms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so his, his worship team wrote the song. But they knew the covenant well. So yeah. if you look in this psalm, you'll see the details of the of the Davidic covenant. Right, and it kind of reminds me of of the art that we see. You know, art represented scriptures. You know, and you know, you go to Europe and and all of this, and how else would they have communicated the uh, the scriptures or or these covenants and things like that Absolutely. to people who couldn't read? Absolutely. You know, through song, and Absolutely. so that totally makes sense. And it's possible that they they memorized right. uh, some of this music. Right. Right. Yeah. And it seems that Psalm 89 reaffirms the covenant that God made with David. We read in verses two through four of the Psalm, and then again in verses 20 through 29, and then again in verses 36 through 37. Right. So this is Psalm 89 verses two through four. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Beautiful. And, thank you. And then in verses 20 through 29. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him but I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. And then verses 36 through 37 says this, His descendants shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon and the witness in the sky is faithful. Fantastic. That's that's the hope that the Hebrew Scriptures gives to all of us mm. who love God, uh, because for believers in Jesus, what this looks forward to is the second coming. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so when you take that literally, you understand that the Son of David, the Messiah, Jesus, will return and will literally fulfill the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures and literally reign on his throne in Jerusalem for a long period of time. Revelation, we view it as a thousand years. Mm. And he will establish his kingdom. Mm. 
this Davidic kingdom. And this kingdom will be a kingdom that will be beautiful. The curse will be lifted from the earth, uh, and uh, all sorts of wonderful things will, will happen. It will be a righteous kingdom. It will be a just kingdom. I love verse 24, my faithfulness, emunata, which means uh, true. It's from the word to be true. So my truth and my chesed, my loving kindness, will be with him. And in my name, his horn, uh, which is the image of the anointing oil, will be exalted. So, I mean, the, the, the portrait here that we have, what will probably be at least a couple thousand years before mm -hmm. Jesus reigns on his rightful throne if he comes next week, <laughs> you see. And David, we always date David about 1,000 B.C., Mm -hmm. That's the easiest way to. That's the easiest way to date David's kingdom. Okay, and what year are we in now? Two thousand twenty-one. So this three thousand years that we've been waiting for this so far. Right yes. Now. But what, so whenever it comes, we'll know it's here. Uh, but it's going to be a kingdom that will be characterized by the qualities of government and life that will make all of us. Uh, it will, will be filled with joy because don't you want? A, a ruler who is uh, tethered to the truth, who will act, always act in loving kindness, in faithfulness and, and loving kindness. Boy, I'll tell you, this is a tremendous hope that we have. Mm -hmm. And if you don't take the second coming literally, if you don't take the establishment of his kingdom literally, I wish you would, because you will have something rock solid to look forward to. And try not to spiritualize all of this. You know, just take it for face value. A kingdom is coming that will be established in truth and righteousness and in, in chesed and loving kindness. That's something to hang on to, particularly during difficult times. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th I think we've covered a lot, but I, w I would love to know, Mitch, does the New Testament reference either of these prophecies? I think... I'm going to just give you one passage here, if that's okay, because it does a number of times. You can look in the early sermons of the book of Acts. Yeah. You could look, I mean, it, because it flows into other passages like the book of Amos, which, uh, 9, which, which is quoted in, the, in one of Peter's early sermons and so on. But I'd like to just look at one quick little passage. It was the one that absolutely blew me away when I was first seeking the Lord. I picked up a New Testament, which I found in a phone booth in the middle of the Redwood Forest. Yeah. And you know my story, but you can find it on a, I Found Shalom, and you can, you can listen to me or watch it. Mm -hmm. But when I opened up the New Testament, right at the start, because I was raised in a more traditional Jewish home, we read in verse one of the Gospel of Matthew, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah son of David mm. and the son of Abraham. It, the son of David goes first. Yeah. Yeah. The son of David and the son of Abraham. And then in verse 17, uh, the generations from Abraham to David are 14 from David to the deportation. David, this covenant God made with David is right at the heartbeat of the coming of, of even the first coming of the Messiah. So we know that he is the anointed son of David and the King Messiah. For me, as a Jewish person, mm. 
hearing that from the very start, because I was taught, you know, if Jesus did exist, he certainly wasn't Jewish. He started a new religion. He was anti, you know, his followers are anti-Semitic. You know, I had all, you know, all these terrible concepts. You know, I open up the New Testament. Sure, it would be a, an anti-Semitic diatribe, right? Yeah. And the first thing I read is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Mm. I said, wow, <laughs> yeah. wow, that's mind boggling. And that's something that you can share with your Jewish friends because Jewish people know that the Messiah is supposed to be from the, from the son of David, is going to be a son of David. Mm -hmm. And that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Amen. So much going back to something you mentioned earlier, Jesus has fulfilled many messianic prophecies, but he also will fulfill many others when he returns. So can we conclude for Psalm 89 and for the passage in second Samuel seven, that these prophecies have not been fulfilled yet. They've been fulfilled in part mm -hmm. because you have a first and a second coming. So certainly Jesus did fulfill, I'm sorry, <laughs> that, well, Jesus too, but, but certainly David, uh, David's dynasty continued. Yes. And e eventually David's dynasty uh, had a halt, a seeming halt to it, mm -hmm. uh, but it was picked up again in the coming of the true king. Um, so Jesus didn't ascend the physical throne, but he was certainly... Um, the anointed son of David. And when he ascended, he certainly ascended and sat at the right hand of the father. Mm. So in a sense, he was a king and a, in a spiritual sort of way. But you know, when, when I say things like that, that doesn't mean that the rest of the, of the story is not going to unfold literally. Mm. And that's, what, that's the problem sometimes. People say, ah, so he's already the king, so that prophecy's fulfilled, so we don't have anything more to look forward to. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Think of it as prophecies being fulfilled incrementally, you know, over a period of time. And that's exactly what happens in the New Testament. It's not that Jesus doesn't fulfill 2 Samuel 7 or Psalm 89 at all. He does. Mm -hmm. mm but there's a lot more to look forward to. So first he came to die for our sins, make get us right with God. Next time he comes to reign as king. The prophecies and covenants reflect these two comings. Amen. Mitch, I would love to hear you describe what Yeshua's kingship will look like. And um, I, I just think about life right now, a lot of uh, divisions, uh, across many different spectrums, can't seem a lot of people can't seem to agree with each other. What is it going to look like when Jesus is on the throne? Well, again, it's going to be sort of in two stages, even in the future, because you have the thousand-year reign of Jesus, the millennial kingdom, where all these prophecies are literally fulfilled, and then you have the coming of the New Jerusalem, where He's also sitting on the throne, yeah. and uh, and so. Boy, there's so many good things to look forward to, you know? <laughs> and how do I feel about it uh, in this time period? Well, uh, let me just read um, one passage, one of my favorite. And this is with the latter half of his second coming. Um, 
when the new Jerusalem comes down. We won't need a light for day because he'll be the light and, you know, just ma magnificent prophecies. But here's the part I, I, I quote all the time during this tough COVID season and uh, during hard times. And uh, something to remember in Revelation 21, verse 4, one of my favorite passages. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now listen, there'll be no more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the old things have passed away. That's the hope that keeps us going. That's the hope that Jesus gives us. That's the hope that was promised by the Davidic covenant. Mitch, there are a lot of uh, scriptures that people love. There are a lot of things in the Bible that people love. People don't necessarily go to Messianic prophecy first to be blessed, quote unquote. <laughs> right? You yeah. think of that and you think of you have to study and all this. but Just people like me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm just curious, how has learning about Messianic prophecy shaped you personally, and how can it bless us? I think right out of the box, Abe, it, it gives us a sense of certainty, mm. Mm. particularly first coming prophecies. It, it, it's powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, when you can see that these prophecies, at least according to the New Testament, uh, that, that they came to pass, then that's, again, that's a powerful rationale that's a little bit more objective mm -hmm. uh, for, for the development of faith. And, uh, and so I think that that's a, a great use. For me as a, as a Jewish believer, of course, it was, it's not just that it gives me a solid basis for my faith. It gives me a solid basis for my Jewishness also mm. and the Jewishness of my faith. I could not believe that Jesus is the Messiah unless I believe that what he did was consistent with what was predicted in the Hebrew scriptures. And Messianic prophecy, everything from Micah 5.2, 5, but thou, O Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for me one will go forth from uh, to be ruler in Israel, and his goings forth from of old, from everlasting, to Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. There's there's just, and, the, and, and, and of course, the, what we were just talking about, the covenant. When I see those things come to pass in the person of Jesus and in the New Testament, then how in the world am I supposed to think of him as a Norwegian or an Italian or, <laughs> or something other than Jewish? You know, <laughs> nothing against Norwegians or Italians, but I mean, he's one of ours. Yeah. yeah. And for me, to be comfortable with my faith and to be able to tell my Jewish family and friends that they can be comfortable with him. Mm -hmm. Also, he needs to be demonstrably Jewish and there's nothing more powerful in demonstrating the Jewishness of Jesus than these Messianic prophecies. Like the writer of Psalm 89, we praise God that the Messiah saves us and will usher in a kingdom of peace and justice. As verse 4 says, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. This gives us hope for when Jesus returns and establishes his throne on earth 
bringing an end to all wars and bringing safety to all nations. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope featuring Chosen People Ministries President, Dr. Mitch Glazer. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and Grace Sui, written by Rachel Larson, and edited by Grace Sui. This episode was also created thanks to Kyron Bautista and Dr. Michael Redonik. I'm Abe Vasquez. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at OurHopePodcast.com slash support. See you next time.